continuing along in our series of liturgy. This morning we heard a wonderful sermon concerning whether there should be instruments um, in a corporate worship service. I pray that that was of, of some use to you. I know many of these sermons are challenging because they go against first truths. First truths are always hard to overcome, are they not? Um, especially in a worship context because we definitely don't want to do things for such a long period of time and then years later have someone tell you that the things that you've been doing are actually not proper and accurate. Um, and you have taken a liking to the things that you've done. One of them being music, right? I like that certain style of music. I like when the drums do this and when the guitar does this. Um, again, saints, though, we have to remember it's not up to what we like in a worship service. It's ultimately up to what God desires for us to do. And, of course, we, are, we can apply that to our own lives as well. If someone goes to our homes, we want them to act a certain way. We want them to act accordingly. We don't want them to go into the bedroom. We don't want them to, uh, some of us maybe, we don't want them to have their shoes on when they're in our homes. So when we come into the house of God, we have to ask, how does God want us to act in His house? Um, and we can go along and see from God's Word how He wants us to act in His house. Last time um, we were together in Sunday afternoon, we considered corporate worship and the goal of corporate worship, which happens to be the goal of humanity, which is deification. That is this process that we are undergoing right now to be ultimately conformed to the image of God. That the Holy Trinity um, impresses their seal and their mark upon us in such a way that outwardly we show that we are like God. Now, that's very hard for us to swallow, I'm sure. But the scriptures are filled though, right, with us being conformed unto the image of Christ. And being conformed to the image of Christ means to be conformed to the image of the God-man Jesus Christ. So what we receive then in a worship service is the very life of Christ. I mean, we aren't to think that a worship service, what we do corporately, is exempt from the merits and the glory, or rather the grace that Christ has received in His humanity. So when we talk about receiving grace, the grace that we're receiving is from the humanity of Christ, which is united to His divinity, so that we as humans can be like our Christ. It's very much, once again, Christ giving Himself to us every single time we worship corporally. Christ gave Himself for us over 2,000 years ago to live, die, rise for us. And every single Sunday morning and afternoon, He gives Himself once again to us. Again, what does He give to us? He gives to us His grace. He gives to us a share in the divine nature. He gives to you the very divinity itself so that you can be like God here on earth. So we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to begin this process of being like God, but rather the process of being like God happens now. The process of being like God happens now and will ultimately come to that climactic stage when we are all filled with the blessed vision of God, but also ultimately conformed to the image of Christ, being glorified and, uh, and, and all that wonderful thing. So, 
this afternoon then. Um, we're going to consider, and in studying this, um, I, I got to a point where I said to myself, I may be in over my head on this one, um, but I think it's actually very applicable to corporate worship. Um, and I think it's, it's important for us to, do, to know because exactly, we do it uh, four times formally in a worship service and also we do it informally all throughout the service. And that is we're going to consider contemplation and how it relates to corporate worship. Contemplation and how it relates to corporate worship. Like I said, we do it four times formally um, in a worship service. At the call to worship, we ask the members of of the congregation to not only examine themselves, prepare themselves, but also to contemplate on the one who's calling you to worship. And then, when we come to the reading of the law, not only are you to ask forgiveness of your sins, but also you are to contemplate your sin. And then after that, after the preached word, the minister asks, let's contemplate what we have heard. And then after that, during the blessed sacraments of the Lord's Supper, we ask to contemplate the things that we are holding. What does it mean then? Why why do we spend so much time contemplating? It's four times, and then also informally, which we'll get to at the very end, we should be contemplating um, when we are singing. I mean, the singing is very much a contemplation that's already happened within the mind. And it's just showing itself out in an action. Or even at the, at the time when the minister gives the benediction, the blessing of God. That is a time that, although the minister is not saying, let's contemplate on this, we should, when the minister is giving on the behalf of God, or uh, this, this blessing... We should be contemplating what's being said. Okay, so what is contemplation? Just two points. The nature of contemplation and also how does contemplation relate to worship? You could think of it as contemplation and worship. What is contemplation? Contemplation um, has been now in our 21st century context been interchanged with meditation. Contemplation, meditation. Many use the words interchangeably. However, um, although there's not a hard distinction between contemplation and meditation, there is a distinction nonetheless. There is a difference between meditation and contemplation. And at this point, saints, let me, let me say that everything I'm going to say, I don't want you to think that it is way above your head. It's really not because it's things that you already do, even now. You're doing them right now. One theologian has um, ca- characterized the distinction in this manner. In meditation... God is sought after by a discursive effort. In contemplation, there is no effort of this kind, as God has been found and is gazed at. In meditation, God is sought after after discursive effort. So what is meditation then? Meditation then is the mind in movement. It's you going from this argument to this argument. It's the mind, again, in discursive effort. Your mind is making judgments. Your mind is deducing things that you've heard in the past. Removing arguments. Adding new arguments. But in contemplation, though, saints, in contemplation, the mind is still. The mind is not making judgments. 
because the mind has already made a judgment. Again, in contemplation, the mind is not in movement. The mind is not caught up in trying to figure out the subject, but rather, the subject has already been found, and now in contemplation, that subject is being marinated on, upon rather. That subject, you're allowing your thoughts to marinate, and whatever you have um, accepted already, you come to a fuller understanding of it. Now, with this distinction in mind, we can use the terms interchangeably, but for, for our purposes, we're just going to talk about contemplation. Because in contemplation, what we have is the practice of focus. In contemplation, we have the practice of focus. It is the practice of calming the mind. And its aim is to, not merely for you to have knowledge, but for you to have love. For you to have love. For your love to hyphen. Love then is the fruit of contemplation. Love is the fruit of contemplation. Contemplation then, saints, is a spiritual practice that we must recover. Not just for worship, but for life as well. But for life. The beauty of contemplation, saints, is this. It speaks to what is unique about us as humans. Contemplation is unique to us as humans. We talk about um, the various things in creation being awe-inspiring. You can look at the Grand Canyon, look at the mountains, the birds, snakes, whatever. But saints, consider yourself as God's creation being the very apex of God's creation. And the way we know that, the way that we are distinct, what makes us distinct from the animals who have a sensitive soul... And plants, right, is we have the power to think and to will. That is the, that's unique about us as humans, is we have the power to think and to will. Animals and plants do not possess the type of intellect that we have. We have the power to reason. We have the power to understand. We have the power within our minds to make judgments. So in contemplation... What we are doing is what's unique to us, but also, and what we are doing is we are mirroring the holy angels and what's unique to them. We're doing what we were created to do, saints. We were created to contemplate. That is who you are. Is this, I mean, this is not something that Pastor Antonio and I are not tapping on or tacking on. You're made to do this at every single thing, at every single sermon, just because we think it's you know important. But rather, just as you are made to sing, just as you are made to be divinized to be like God, you were made to contemplate. How do I know that? Because you have something that the plants and animals don't have. You have a power within you. The animals and plants, the chair that you're sitting on, the table that you see in front of us, the, the pulpit here, the microphone, does not have. You have an intellect and you have a will, but specifically, the use of your intellect. In contemplation, we are mirroring the way in which the holy angels' intellect operates. Now that might be kind of weird, right? Because angels, we, we don't spend a lot of time talking about angels. Um, we will talk about angels eventually, but we usually don't consider angels and what's going on with angels. But I would argue that in contemplation, at the, at the act of contemplation, we are resembling 
the intellect and the way in which the intellect of an angel operates. What I mean by that is this. In contemplation, we are using our power of reason. Now, think of reason. Reason is done in two ways. There's reasoning, and then there's understanding. There's reasoning, and then there's understanding. Right now, you're trying. You're <laughs> right now. Many of you are reasoning in your mind what I'm saying, <laughs> and many of you have already understood what I'm saying. Right? In reasoning, the mind again is in movement. The mind is going from this thought to this thought to this thought to this thought. It's, it, your mind is. It, it looks like a big equation. You know, you're going from here to here to here to here. You're making corrections, observations, dropping things, adding things. But in understanding, the mind is not in movement. Again, the mind is still. The mind has already come to the truth. And rather, in understanding, rather than trying to deduce whether what you're saying is right or not, it's already, it's already came and come to a conclusion. So in understanding then, what you're doing is you're resting in the truth. You rest in the truth. In reasoning, you're in movement toward truth. But in understanding, you rest in truth. For example, if I told you 2 plus 2 equals 4, your mind saying 2 plus 2 equals 4, I can... I can uh, assure that none of you in your mind are reasoning whether or not 2 plus 2 equals 4. But the moment I said 4, your mind has already came to a judgment, and your mind now rests upon 2 plus 2 equals 4. But if I told you 96 times 42, you know all you brainiacs, I'm sure you already know the answer, your mind's going to try to come to a reason. Your mind's going to begin to reason, reasoning. Mm, okay, carry the two. Uh, you know, all, all of all those things, right? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking of myself primarily. But in 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 understanding, in understanding, and, and just if you can keep this at, in your mind, in understanding, you're resting upon the truth. You've already come to the knowledge of the truth. You know the truth, and you and you rest in it. You believe in it. So we can say that in contemplation, we are knowing the truth in a simple glance. In contemplation, you know the truth in a simple glance. And this type of reasoning, knowing the truth in a simple glance, is what mirrors the way in which the holy angels know. According to Dionysius, between humans and angels, there is this difference. What's the difference between a human mind and the mind of an angel? An angel perceives the truth by simple apprehension. Whereas we arrive at the perception of a simple truth by a process from multiplicity. Meaning, how do you come to truth? You come to truth in a variety of ways, merely by making judgments, arguments. Holy angels, though, don't make arguments. They know the truth. The holy angels' minds are as close to God as anyone. So holy angels, they don't, they don't make judgments upon the truth, but rather they know the truth. So in contemplation then, again, we're not making judgments. We already know the truth. And in knowing the truth, our mind is very much mirroring the holy angel's mind and in very, very mysterious way, 
it's in a particip- it's participating in the mind of God. Because God contemplates himself. God knows and enjoys himself. And so when we contemplate, not only are we mirroring the mind of the angels, but also we are participating in the very mind of God. Who doesn't God does God 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 does the, God doesn't make judgments. God is one supreme intellect who knows. We mirror the intellect of the angels and the way it operates when we contemplate saints. That is, we don't come to further judgments upon a subject, but rather we know the thing. And we have accepted the thing. And we rest in the truth. That's what we do when we contemplate. So in contemplation then, it's not the act of emptying your mind, but rather it's the act of the things that you already know, you rest in. The things that you know, you rest in. It's all going to make sense in just a moment, trust me. In fact, contemplation then is the highest act of the mind. Contemplation is the very highest act of the mind. Hilda's cold. Can we uh, <laughs> can we turn it off because I'm cold as well? Or turn it down a little bit. Um, my hands are freezing. Contemplation is the highest act of the mind. Discursive reasoning, it comes to this climactic point. A moment when the intellect knows and rests upon what it knows. So contemplation then is where the things that you're trying to know is leading you towards. You don't want to, for instance, you don't want to have to make judgments all the time about something, right? You want to come to a realization of this is what it is. This is the truth and I rest in the truth. Well, resting upon that truth is contemplation on the truth. And it's the highest form in which your intellect can act. In fact, it's the highest thing that you could do is to contemplate. If the highest part of you is your intellect, then the highest act that you can perform is contemplation. Is contemplation. Resting uh, on this truth, saints, is the reason why, this truth is the reason why we were created. For ultimately, we were created to contemplate and rest on the truth of God. That is why you were created to to enjoy God and know Him forever. Not know Him in making judgments on whether or not He's true or not. But know Him, and that is, I have, I do know Him, and I rest in that knowledge of knowing Him. Contemplating then and resting upon the truth of God is the highest, most perfect, and the most enjoyable contemplation we can perform. Thomas Aquinas says, though the, the contemplation of divine things which is to be had by wayfarers is imperfect. In other words, what we do in this life as we contemplate God, it's imperfect. We never come to a clear contemplation of God. But it is more delightful than all other contemplation, however perfect. Cont- even, even though our imperfect contemplation of God is through a glass darkly, that imperfect contemplation of God is still far more perfect than the most perfect of contemplations in this life. Why? Aquinas says, on the account of the excellence of that which is contemplated. On the object, based on the object, the one you're contemplating, the con- 
you can have an imperfect contemplation of holy God and that is still better than your perfect contemplation of your marriage. That is still more perfect than your perfect contemplation of your child that you know through and through. Or mathematics or any other sciences, food, whatever. Isn't that amazing? Not to say that what we're doing in this life is useless, but there is a, there is a level in which our minds are able to operate and it can be fulfilled in happiness because of course saints contemplation and the goal of contemplation is happiness this is what Aristotle says Aristotle says that contemplation is the highest of the virtues why? because it leads to ultimate happiness the more you know a thing the more you love a thing the more you love a thing it drives the will and your affections for the thing the goal of contemplation then is to love God It's not merely for you to know all the ins and outs of data concerning God. Contemplation is not concerned about data. But rather, contemplation is concerned about love. Loving God. So when I'm saying contemplation, don't think I'm trying to create in you a bunch of, you know, smarty pants. But rather, worshippers. Worshippers of God. Ones who love God. The goal of contemplation is to love God. For the more we think on the things we love, the more we love these things, or the things that we have contemplated on. I mean, today, it being um, not only the Lord's Day, but according to the world and all that, it's Mother's Day. And many of you, I'm sure, at a specific time, you're going to contemplate on your mother. And the more you contemplate on your mother, the more you begin to, things come out of you, affections, emotions you begin to think about the various things that your mother has done and you and you love the things that your mother has done well saints consider them the love of God we should have God as the center of our contemplation God is to be the center of all of our contemplation we should regularly contemplate on God we should regularly contemplate on his attributes we should regularly contemplate on his love his unchanging love his unchanging mercy and grace We should regularly contemplate on the darkness of God, His unknowingness, His incomprehensibility, His simplicity, His impassibility, all these things we say about God. We should contemplate on God's works, both in creation and salvation. What has God done for us? In congregation, the beauty of contemplation is this, is that the more we contemplate... um, of God in this life, the more we will have a foretaste of heaven. Contemplation is a foretaste of heaven. If you want to know what heaven tastes, what heaven feels, if you want to experience heaven, contemplate. Contemplate on God. Now, how do we experience a foretaste of heaven in contemplation? It doesn't make any sense. Well, remember, saints, what's the great longing and reward of heaven. It is the beatific vision. It is when we will at a very moment see God not through a glass darkly, but we will know Him the way in which He has prescribed for us to know Him without the presence of sin. That is the contemplation that we are heading towards. So in this life, when you contemplate God, just know that you are having a foretaste of the contemplation in heaven. 
when we will be filled with that glorious vision. It was Dionysius who speculates on this vision. He says, In a most holy contemplation, we shall ever be filled with a sight of God shining gloriously around us as it once shone for disciples at the, Mount, at the divine transfiguration. And there we shall be, our minds away from passion and from the earth. And we shall have a conceptual gift of light from Him. And somehow, in a way we cannot know, we shall be united with Him. And our understanding carried away, blessedly happy, we shall be struck by His blazing light. That is the goal of the Christian life. That is what we're heading towards, right? Now, saints, how does this contemplation relate to Scripture? Do we see contemplation in Scripture? Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. Genesis 24, 63, speaking of Isaac, And he went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Psalm 119.15 I meditate on your precepts, and consider your ways. Isaiah 26.3 And you will keep in perfect peace those minds who are steadfast because they trust in you. You want perfect peace? Of course you have it in Christ. But you want to have a peace that's unwavering even in this life? So when the enemy comes at you, contemplate. Meditate. Those who are firmly persuaded and fixed upon God and His Gospel. Not those who continue to reason with the Lord. But those who rest in the truth. That is, again, contemplation, resting in the truth. Isaiah says, we'll be in perfect peace. Contemplating on the truth. Knowing the truth. Resting on it. I am firmly persuaded on these things. Joshua 1.8 Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it. Day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. Notice, Joshua, Isaiah, they speak of the things that the world longs for. Peace, prosperity, success. How do we find these things? In an earthly manner, we can find them through going to school, getting degrees, knowing the right people, getting a good job, knowing the right person. (laughs) Some of us... But the Word of God says meditate, contemplate on God's Word. Contemplate on God's Word. We see here saying that the understanding, and hear me now, the understanding of Scripture, knowing the Lord is much more than just reading your Bible or reading a theology textbook. Much more than that. You don't understand Scripture to its fullest by just reading a commentary. But rather... To understand Scripture, to know the Lord fully, one must contemplate. One must contemplate. In fact, it was said of the medievals that a theologian is one who prays. It would speak of theologians as one who prays. It was said of Thomas Aquinas that he learned more in prayer than he did in study. Because in prayer, your mind is then fixed. Your mind is still. Your mind, you're able to contemplate on the things that you have read. So if you want to be a good theologian, if you want to have success in this life, 
If you want to have perfect peace, if you want to know Scripture, if you want to know God more fully and accurately, contemplate. Contemplate. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. To think about such things means to meditate on them, to revolve them in your mind, seriously consider them so that you can put them in practice. Psalm 19.14 These words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. My rock and my redeemer. Psalm 104.34 says the same thing. May my meditation be pleasing to Him. Meditation also is an act of worship. That's why we do it. May my meditation be pleasing to you. May my voice, my songs be pleasing to you. And lastly, St. Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This word dwell carries the idea of meditation. As it was said this morning from Pastor Antonio, the things that you are singing, you sing them loud. How are you able to sing them loudly and boldly in the way that God has prescribed? Because you've meditated on them. You have rested upon the truth such as it is well. You've rested on the truth that uh, your God is your salvation. John Gill says to dwell in them supposes that it had entered into them. It had a place in them through the Spirit and power of Christ. And that it should have a constant and fixed place there. And not be like a stranger or warefaring man that tarries but for a night, or like a soldier that continues but for a while, but as an inhabitant that it takes up its residence and abode, never more to depart. In other words, the truth of the gospel is not to be a sojourner in your life. What Christ has done for you and the power of the gospel and the blood of Christ and His infinite merit and all the things that we know about God isn't to be something that stays just for the night, but rather it is to take home within you. How that, that is how you persevere to the end. When the Word of God has taken home and residence within you. You're not wavering. Sure, you may stumble, but it's always there. It's that constant refrain. It's that constant rock that you come to. The truth of God. It doesn't tarry for the night, but rather it takes its home within you. It's a constant and it has a fixed place within you. Saints, this is what it means to contemplate. It is to hear the things that you know as truth and for you to take those things and for you to build a home within you and move those things in within you so that the things that are desiring to be known and the things that you know live in the knower. That's what it means to contemplate. Before we close, how does this relate to corporate worship? What does this mean for corporate worship? How does contemplation work in corporate worship. Well, saints, if there's anywhere where contemplation is fitting to perform, it is corporate worship. 
We live in a play, live in a world where it's so fast-paced. There's so many things going on. Your mind is never at still. In fact, if there's any time your mind's at still, it's probably when you're asleep. And even then, you might have dreams and all that. So your mind is always in movement in some way, shape, or form. But in, in corporate worship, when the minister calls for us to sit in silence and to consider the things that you already know and now to swim in them, this is the most fitting time to do such. For us to, in many ways, drown in the truth of God and His Word. To bathe in the sweetness of Christ and His Gospel. This is the most fitting time. And we do this both formally and informally. Formally, we are to contemplate at the call to worship. Who is calling us to worship? The Creator of heaven and earth. Knowing that, I will worship Him. We should contemplate our sin, not only ask for forgiveness, but also contemplate the the heinousness of sin, the cosmic treasonness of sin, the evilness of sin. We should contemplate our sin so much so that we, we feel dirty and disgusting of what we have done. We should contemplate the preached word. Jesus Christ has just spoken to us. The first thing we do after the preached word is not already in our minds come up with five different arguments that we're going to present to the pastor. What we do after the preached word is contemplate on the truth that the pastor has given to us. That's what we do. Contemplation also when we receive, as we will do in just a moment, the blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper. What we are holding in our hands is not just ordinary bread and ordinary wine. It is very much so sacramentally linked to the body and blood of Christ. We are holding the body and blood of our Savior. Contemplate. Rest in that truth. And let that resting drive your passions and your emotions and your love. But also we contemplate informally too, do we not, saints? When the minister pronounces on the authority of God's word alone the forgiveness of sins, contemplate. When we're reading the gospel, Take it in. Own it. That I am forgiven of my sins. That Christ has received me as a brother. When we receive also the blessing of God at the benediction. Although we don't say formally contemplate on this, you ought to be contemplating on the grace and the peace that God extends to you as you go off. So saints, everything that we do in corporate worship is contemplation whether informally or formally. So I, I, I say to you, saints, practice this habit of contemplation. Read your Word. And before you even try to understand the Word by going to a commentary or looking up other Scriptures, read the Word, stop, and just think. Now in that time, you are meditating because you're trying to come to understanding. But also, there are truths in the Word of God that you already know. Rest in them. Let let them have a permanent home within your mind so that when Satan comes, you have the ammunition. When Satan comes, you, you have within your minds the Word of God and you've built your home on a solid foundation. Let's pray.